This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I'm your host, board certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. And this week we're talking yeast infections. That may not sound like a good time to you, but guess what? If you've got a vagina, there's a pretty good chance you've had one. We're going to have one. And so two callers of mine called in with excellent questions and we are going to answer them. I'm going to give you the skinny on yeast infections, what they are, what you can do to prevent them. And of course, we're going to have a little classes in session and we're going to bust some myths along the way. So without further ado, let's listen to our first question, which is from our caller, Mel. Hi, just leaving a message um, for the podcast. My name is Mel and I'm calling in because I get recurring yeast infections and my provider and I are working on it, but it's gotten me thinking about what kind of general hygiene we should be doing. Um, you know, am I taking it too far? Like I wash my underwear separately in sensitive detergent. And I recently saw some underwear that says it's supposed to help prevent yeast infections and UTIs. So I'm thinking about getting those. But like I use a peri bottle to clean every night and I change my underwear regularly. So like I feel like I do a lot of things that maybe are above and beyond. And I don't think that women really, for girls, as they grow older, get taught enough about hygiene. Um, you know, should we be using douche? I mean, I know we shouldn't is what the guidance that I've gotten, but like it's out there, you know, some people use it. Should we be using it? When should we be using it? You know, uh, I feel like a lot of the things that I learned about how to take care of vagina <laughs> was taught just um, from looking it up or from talking to friends about what they do and um, and then asking my provider, but it would be great to just get more information on that. Um, you know, things like, you know, should we be using soaps and things like that? Um, so some guidance would be helpful. Thanks. Okay, Mel. So many good questions in there and none of them are stupid. We do not get taught about these things, or if we do, chances are it's bunch of misinformation and it comes from an angle of shame. And if you don't believe me, just take a brief walk down your local feminine hygiene aisle and watch the commercials. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Summer's Eve and Vagisil and all the other brands. Yeah, just take a look at that and see how we're made to feel dirty and gross if we might... <gasps> get something like a yeast infection. So let's get talking about these infections, what the vulva needs, what it doesn't, and what to do if your infections just won't quit. Okay, first things first, what's up with these yeast infections? They are super duper common. And for people who come into the OBGYN clinic or their primary care clinic and they're complaining of vaginal issues like burning or redness or discharge, a yeast infection is the culprit in about 20 to 40% of these cases, so really common. And guess what? Like I said, if you've got a vulva and a vagina, the chances are really good you're going to get at least one of these in your lifetime, with up to 50% of us experiencing them at some point. And you may, when you hear of yeast infection, you may think, oh, cottage cheese discharge. Like, that's just what it is. It's true. You can get that, but you can also have a lot of other really annoying symptoms, such as itching, 
the burning vulva, red vulva, just a reminder, the vulva's the outside part, the vagina's the inside part. Yes, there's that cottage cheese discharge. Pain, you can also have pain with burning feeling, a stinging feeling. You can even get really bad swelling of the vulva. And sometimes you even get these little cuts called fissures in a really bad case. So yeah, it can be really uncomfortable. And if you've had one, you know this. In fact, I'm going to take time to share something I can't believe I'm sharing with people out there in the world. But like I said, no shame. That's not my game. So I'm going to tell you my story of my first yeast infection, or what I affectionately like to call, I thought I had cancer. And I'm not even joking. I was in college. So again, pretty, you know, I was a pretty smart student, pretty with it, majored in biology. And yet here's an example of how I knew nothing about my body. I was away doing summer research and was at the beach and was wearing a swimsuit and probably wasn't changing quickly into drier clothes enough. And I'll see why I'm mentioning that later. And I remember I got this feeling of like, oh my God, itching and discharge. And I was like, oh, whatever, that'll go away. And then I actually saw blood when I wiped and it wasn't my period. And I thought, I'm dying. Like, this can't be normal. I tried to go and find an OBGYN who would take me. Remember, it was a summer thing. I was not at home with my regular doctor, so I was trying to be seen in an office. I was trying to do the responsible thing and call and not go into the emergency room, but none of these doctors were taking new patients. Super annoying. Hello, American healthcare system. We love you. So yeah, I was that person who skipped work one day because I was in such discomfort and I went to the emergency room and I was so embarrassed to check in for something that I knew wasn't an emergency, but I was still freaking out. And they put me in the room. And remember, I'm still you know, a college student. At this point, I wasn't sexually active. And so I was just, you know, I was like afraid to, to be examined. I was like, please don't send a guy in the room. And yes, I think that male doctors and male OBGYNs, especially, there are many amazing ones. So I don't want this to be like, a, oh, guys should not be OBGYNs. Of course they can be. But this young guy came in and I thought, this is it. This is where I just die of embarrassment. If it's not cancer or my vagina, I'm just going to die of embarrassment. So anyway, long story short, he did an exam and he was like, ma'am, you have a yeast infection. Gave me a medicine. And guess what? I was fine. This was back in the old days where, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have the internet. Oh my gosh, I'm making myself sound so old right now. So it's not like I could even like Google what my symptoms were or watch a TikTok about it, which probably would have been wrong anyway, and maybe gone to the doctor and said, hey, I think this is what's going on or gone to the grocery store and bought something to treat myself, even though I don't recommend that. More on that later. Long story short, I had a yeast infection, had to go to the ER. I had no idea what was going on. Now I know better and I'm trying to teach you so that you don't end up like me and feel really scared that you're dying of cancer. So, okay, now that we're done with that oversharing, back to what yeast infections are. They are caused by yeast because the name is yeast infection. But here's the thing. There are many strains of yeast and the one called Candida albicans is the usual strain that gives us trouble. It's actually what causes 90% of yeast infections. But stay tuned later on because this isn't always the case and it can actually make things really complicated, but more on that later. We diagnose yeast infections in a perfect world, not just by going through a checklist of symptoms and then boom, you get medicine mailed to you or you go to the grocery store and buy it because we actually know that self-diagnosis is really unreliable and not just in like an objective way. I'm trying to get you into my office so I can make money off of you, but we've legit done studies where people have told us what they thought they've had. They've self-treated, they've come into the office. It's actually something different. So we're just, we're not great at self-diagnosis, especially when it's your first infection. So the ideal diagnosis is we take a history, we ask questions to figure out what's going on, and then we do an exam. And really the best way to diagnose yeast is to do something called wet mount microscopy. This is fancy words for we place a speculum in, we do a swab, 
take what's on the Q-tip, put it on a microscope slide with some liquid and we look under the microscope and we can actually see like the hyphae and the pseudo hyphae of what is the actual yeast that's growing. When we couple that with our history, with taking a little piece of pH paper, we're able to be really certain that, yeah, you have a yeast infection or no, you don't. There are some other tests that we can do as well, such as a culture, which is where we take a swab, send it down to the lab and see what grows out. This is actually really important if you've got recurrent infections or your infection, which we called a yeast infection, gave the usual meds, isn't getting better. That's a really important thing. And I'll get to that later as well. And there's some other tests called like diagnostic DNA probe tests. Those are also very accurate. But one of their downsides is they get sent out to a lab. And so you don't leave the office right away with a diagnosis. So again, really easy to diagnose, but it does require having an exam. The treatment depends if it's an uncomplicated yeast infection or a complicated yeast infection. I know that sounds silly, right? Like, isn't my life complicated? Isn't every yeast infection complicated? (laughs) That's not what it means. So uncomplicated means that your symptoms are mild to moderate. It's that strain of candida albicans that I'm talking about. Either we know that from a culture or that's what we think it is because maybe this is your first infection or, you know, you've had one, but it's been years, so you don't get them all the time. And you are healthy, meaning that your body isn't immunocompromised, which would make treatment potentially difficult. It becomes complicated if you have any one of these things. So for example, it's recurrent and recurrent has an actual definition. It's not like, oh, you've had one or two. And once you've hit two, then you are considered having had recurrent infections. We actually define a recurrent yeast infection as having four episodes of a yeast infection or more every year. So in 12 months, which sounds really not fun. Another way that it might be complicated, and if you only have one of these, then you automatically become complicated, which means it changes your treatment so that your symptoms are severe or on exam, it's really severe. Remember I talked about that really bad swelling or that redness or even tears in the skin. Another reason it's complicated is if it's a different strain of candida that's causing your symptoms, and usually that's diagnosed by a culture. Or lastly, if you've got things that could make treatment difficult where your immune system just isn't going to be able to respond. So maybe you've got diabetes or HIV, or you're on long-term steroid therapy for other diseases, maybe like psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis. So any of those puts you in the complicated category. Okay, the good news with uncomplicated yeast infections, it's actually really easy to treat. You usually take one pill, the brand name is called Diflucan, or a vaginal treatment that are over the counter. Yes, you can get a prescription for it. And maybe if you do that, your insurance will pay for it, but these are over the counter. So these are like your monostats. And it can either be the cream or, you know, the suppository or the little ovule insert. And usually you do a few days of treatment and between those or the pill, they cure 90% of these kinds of yeast infections. So they work pretty well. But unfortunately, it gets a little more difficult when you have a complicated infection. So here's how we treat those. If the reason you're in the complicated category is not because your life is complicated, but because you've got recurrent yeast infections, and these are recurrent diagnosed based on really yeast cultures. So we know that we're really, really are in this category and it's not suspected treatment that you've done at home and we don't really know what's going on. Then you may need longer periods of treatment and longer suppression therapy. So that means you have your acute treatment and then we keep you on it for a little bit longer to kind of keep it at bay. So one example might be that you get that diflucan, that fluconazole medicine, 
You might take it once a week for six months. And one study showed that in people who were doing this, 90% of them did not have ongoing recurrent infections. So a really good cure rate. And the same kind of thing can be done with the vaginal treatments too. If the reason you're in the complicated category is that your symptoms are really severe, then you may need multiple doses of that oral medicine or longer usage of the vaginal treatment. So instead of maybe doing just three to five days of that monostat medicine, you might need it like for two weeks, for example. And lastly, if the reason you're complicated is because it's a different kind of strain of candida, and like I said, 90% are candida albicans, about 5 to 10% of yeast infections are caused by non-candida albicans. One that's a really big one is called candida glabrata. I know you love these names, right? It sounds like a wine. It's like, I'd like a, I'd like a glass of the glabrata, please. Actually, you don't want it at all because it's a pain in the butt to treat. But for these, the normal treatments don't work. And this is why culture matters, because getting a culture and telling you exactly what bug you're trying to hit is super important because then you can target your therapy appropriately. And the treatment for these kinds is actually boric acid. And the way that we recommend it is boric acid treatment for at least two weeks and then reevaluating your symptoms and seeing how you're doing. And guess what? That brings us to this week's classes and session where we hit up this week's teachable moment. Welcome to the health class you wish you had in high school. And this week's teachable moment is all about boric acid aka the time a gynecologist tells you to put rat poison in your vagina. <laughs> okay, seriously, boric acid is legitimately used as a rat poison, as a pesticide. It can be used to kill insects, and I'm telling you to put it in your vagina? Yes, I am. But, here's the but there is so much misinformation about boric acid out there. In fact, stay tuned for our clitorally segment so much misinformation that makes it seem like boric acid should be used every time you sneeze the wrong way, every time there's, you know, a rainy day, every time you stub your toe. Like, I feel like all these influencers out there are like, use boric acid all the time. Not just the influencers, but the companies that are selling these supplements. Back in the old days, when I was in training, there were no companies selling over-the-counter boric acid. You had to write a special prescription for it, and your patient would have to take it to a compounding pharmacy, and they would make up these little pills, and these are pills and suppositories that go into the vagina. The other option is that you could tell your patient to buy boric acid, like, hi, I'm telling you to go down the pesticide aisle and buy boric acid, and also buy these little capsules that they could then put the boric acid in and put it in their vagina. As you can imagine, I do really like the fact that now you can buy boric acid over the counter and it doesn't require all of these shenanigans to get it. The problem is, is that now so many of these companies which market themselves as natural and organic, have completely the wrong reasons for using it. So there are lots of people out there using boric acid who don't need it. And why is that a problem? Well, the first and the foremost is that it's fatal. It's deadly if it's taken by mouth. So if it's accidentally ingested, either you take it accidentally because you didn't read the bottle, you didn't know, or your kid finds it, it's a big deal. And if you're like, Dr. Jen, who actually does that? My friend, just call somebody who works at Poison Control and you will be horrified by how many things are left in places where kids can get them and how many kids are harmed by things like this all the time. And secondly, slide into my DMs where people have said, oh my God, I saw the TikTok about boric acid. I ran and I got it. And I just thought, oh, it's a pill. I take it. I swallow it. Like people were ingesting this. It's bad. Here is from a website about a patient safety data sheet on boric acid. And I quote, people who have eaten boric acid have had nausea, vomiting, stomach aches, and diarrhea. Diarrhea and vomit may have a blue-green color. That's, we're not even gonna talk about that. 
Eating extreme amounts has resulted in a red boiled lobster skin-like rash followed by the loss of skin. So it's a rash and then your skin falls off. It can also cause abnormal postures, convulsions, confusion, and coma. Friends, this is why we only use boric acid when we have to. So it's important if you are using it under the guidance of somebody who is monitoring you, making sure that you're using it appropriately, that you're responding to it, because if you're not, you shouldn't keep using it. If you're not using it in those sorts of ways, then you really could potentially be doing more harm than benefit. The other things that are important to note when you're using boric acid is that you can't have vaginal or oral sex. I think you can imagine why. You should not use if you're pregnant. And once again, it is not the cure-all for everything like TikTok makes it out to be. Class dismissed. Okay, that was a fun little digression into the world of boric acid. Um, and do not go down that TikTok rabbit hole or yeah, you'll see what I'm talking about. I bet a lot of you are saying, Dr. Jen, can I just skip the doctor? Like, I know what I have. Just forget it. It's fine. I know it's tempting. And maybe sometimes you can and it'll probably be okay. But like I said, it's really important, especially with your first diagnosis, to come in and get a real diagnosis because you just might think you've got something going on. And actually, it's something completely different. It could be bacterial vaginosis or an STI or something not at all related to infections that are issues with skin disorders like lichen sclerosis or vulvar irritations from detergents. So it's just super important to get a good diagnosis. And you might think, well, what's the harm? I don't have time to go in. It's really expensive. I'll just use this monostat. And if it doesn't get better, then I'll come in. That's where things get really complicated for us because not only are you overtreating and exposing your vagina to medications it doesn't need, potentially leading to bacterial resistance and other things. Also, when you come in, then we don't know if what you've got going on is now a real infection that maybe was partially treated or is a different infection. Or maybe now what you've got is irritation and a rash because of the treatment. So it's just, it, it can really complicate the picture. And I promise you, I'm not saying this to get people into the office to make money. It's because we want you feeling better. And that's as soon as possible. So that's why we say it. Now, you might also be wondering, what about other things? I've seen lots of other stuff out there. For example, there's a candida diet. I've seen people say that you should put garlic in your vagina, yogurt in your vagina, take apple cider vinegar baths, do tea tree oil baths. Like there's a whole lot of stuff out there. And here's the take home message. There's no good data. And the data that we do have shows none of these work. The science is garbage. And, you know, in general, putting garlic in your vagina might seem harmless, although it isn't to me because garlic is grown in the ground and putting more things in your vagina, which is, you know, kind of an area that doesn't like it when extra stuff is done to it, can lead to more problems. So I'm begging you to understand that it may be advertised as natural. You may see it on Instagram from a wellness influencer as being more natural. But natural isn't always good, right? Like your yeast infection is natural and that sucks. So I just think we have to step back and think about that. Now, my caller also specifically was like, what about douching? No, please don't douche. The only people who should be douching are people who have had a surgically created vagina. So they underwent gender affirming surgery and they had a vagina surgically created. And those folks do need to douche. And again, under the guidance of their surgeons and their clinicians, because that keeps that tissue from actually scarring up. So that's really the only population that needs to do it. Douching, even just with water, can throw off the pH balance of your vagina, which can, you guessed it, make you more prone to infection. So douching, just like douches in real life, like the people, like 
put them out of your life and please don't ever, ever, ever interact with them ever again. My caller also mentioned special underwear. I can't say I've heard of like special underwear to keep infections at bay, but I can tell you that cotton's really good and even silk because these are natural fabrics, so they breathe better or you can go commando. But I do recommend cotton underwear for people who are prone to infections and ditching the panty liners too, because that can trap moisture, hold it up against your skin and it kind of create that whole cycle of infection. So cotton underwear is better because it just breathes a bit better. I can't say I've seen any special underwear, but I'm sure somebody's out there marketing it because we love to make money off of us. Let's talk about washes, my friends. Remember how I talked about the feminine hygiene aisle? which if you followed me for a long time, you know how I feel, but if this is the first time we're meeting, let me make it clear. The feminine hygiene aisle could go down in an explosion of flames. I don't know how else to describe it. I hate it and everything in that aisle is garbage. Think about, first of all, the framing, feminine hygiene, which means by default we're dirty and we need hygiene and there's no male hygiene aisle. We love that, don't we? No, we hate it. These are things sold by, like I said, Summer's Eve, Vagisil, um, yeah, Honeypot, Love Wellness, all of these are the same things. Some are just branded as being woman-owned or organic, and it's all the same stuff. It's heavily fragranced stuff that your vagina and vulva don't need. You do not need a special wash for your vulva. And again, stay tuned for my clitoris segment. So what do you need to use to clean your vulva, which is important if you, especially if you're prone to infections and you're trying to figure out what's going on, um, you can just use water. Seriously, totally serious there. Or you can use cleansers or soaps that are fragrance-free, made for sensitive skin, have very little ingredients, and are close to the pH of the vulva because that vulvar skin is very sensitive. And when you do wash, you want to just stay on the outside. There's no reason to go inside. There's no reason to like rub and rub and rub and rub. Like, just be gentle. It's your vulva. She needs it. Cleansers that I like actually have a whole YouTube video on this and a ton of content on my other socials, but I really like CeraVe. I think Cetaphil is great. Those are cleansers too. So those are a bit more moisturizing than soaps, which can be drying. But if you do want to use a soap, you can use unscented soaps like Unscented Dove. And I have some other examples on my YouTube video as well. And I'll put that link in my show notes. But really, you don't need all the crazy stuff that the feminine hygiene companies are selling to you. And in fact, I have heard from countless people who use these were having recurrent infections, stopped using these products, and they got better because these washes were changing their pH, were disrupting the skin barrier, and were making them prone to infections. So this is an important thing to troubleshoot if you're somebody who's got recurrent infections or yeast infections that just won't clear up. Other things that you can do too to decrease your chance of getting yeast infections, especially if you're prone to them, if you need to change your underwear a couple times a day, that is better than wearing panty liners, like I mentioned. You also should evaluate all the products that may come into contact with the vulva. That even means like body washes that you're using that could then run down onto the vulva or shampoos or perfumes or other things like that. I really want you to reevaluate your pubic hair situation. Yes, I just said that. Pubic hair has a purpose. I actually have a t-shirt that says that, but it does. It creates a better barrier so that it traps bacteria that can't then get into the vagina. It can actually help wick away moisture. So if you are totally bare down there, and no shame if you are, like whatever, you do you. But if you're prone to infections, every time you're removing skin, you are breaking down and disrupting that skin barrier. And you're also like kind of making a little highway for bugs to get up in there. So maybe just like letting it do its thing. 
would actually be better and might actually help break that cycle of infection. So it's worth trying out. And then lastly, getting out of sweaty clothes, whether you're working out or you're in the pool or at the beach, kind of like how I mentioned it, my fun summer, you know, my Jen's first adventure with a yeast infection. So lots of things that you can try, which I think are appropriate and important to consider when you are dealing with infections that just won't quit. And here's something that's really important. If it doesn't go away, if you feel, if you're getting the vibe that your gynecologist or your primary care doc maybe doesn't kind of feel comfortable, is like just giving you the same treatment over and over again, hasn't mentioned any of these things or done a yeast culture, ask for a referral to a vulvovaginal specialist. These are gynecologists who really focus their entire practice on complicated vulvovaginal infections, along with other disorders like pelvic pain, lichen sclerosis, other skin disorders. They can be really helpful. And I do have a link in the show notes. You can always ask your doctor if they know of a vulvovaginal specialist nearby, but if not, you can go to the link that I'll include in my show notes. That can be helpful. And these are folks who, this is what they do every day. This is their bread and butter. So they can be really helpful, especially in a situation where like my caller is, where it sounds like she's really struggling, really trying hard, trying all the things and just isn't getting where she needs to be. Okay, let's move on to our next question from our caller, Stephanie. Hi, my name is Stephanie, and I have a question for the podcast. My question is about antibiotics and yeast infections. How common is it to get a yeast infection from taking an antibiotic? Okay, this is an excellent question. And just for people maybe who don't know this, when you take an antibiotic, let's say you've got pneumonia or some kind of skin infection or you know something else antibiotics are cool cuz they kill the bacteria that are causing issues but they can also kill off some of the good bacteria that we like too and the bacteria that makes our vaginas really happy is lactobacillus this bacteria is great because it makes acid and keeps the vaginal pH where it should be so that means that the good bacteria can thrive and it also keeps down the bad bacteria like bacterial vaginosis, the bugs that cause that, as well as yeast strains, it prevents them from kind of getting out of whack. So when you take an antibiotic, it can kill off the lactobacillus and then it's like a free-for-all in your vagina. And I'll tell you, there's no hard and fast rule like 90% of people who take an antibiotic will end up with a yeast infection or everyone gets them, but there's a definite increased risk and it is increased with certain antibiotics and in certain populations. So if you're immune system is already a little suppressed, kind of like I mentioned earlier. So if you've got diabetes or HIV or you're on steroids or you're pregnant, there's a higher chance that if you take an antibiotic, you'll be prone to a yeast infection. I am not a huge fan of when providers will just say, okay, I'm giving you antibiotics for this and I'm just going to give you a pill to treat the yeast infection that will probably come. So just go ahead and take it. I don't think that's a good usage of medications and can lead to resistance. And again, it's not a slam dunk. Like everybody will get a yeast infection, so it can lead to a lot of overtreatment. And then the bad thing is when we do that, then we have bugs that no longer can be killed off by our usual treatments and we end up in a whole bigger mess. So here's what I think you should do if you're on antibiotics and you want to decrease your risk of getting a yeast infection. Number one, do all the stuff I just described above. Number two, should I take a diflucan pill just in case or do a yeast treatment? No, for the reasons I said. And number three, what about probiotics? Because I do have people who ask me, should I just go ahead and take probiotics? Because I've heard that they help prevent yeast infections. And if you're not in the probiotic world, 
there's definitely different data when it comes to taking probiotics to protect your gut health, which there's actually a lot of good data for that, versus your vaginal health, for which there's a lot less data and it's conflicting. What we know is that when we talk about probiotics, we're not just talking about one thing. There's lots of different strains and a probiotic is something that kind of helps to replenish. Think of it like it's giving you a mega dose of the good bacteria to kind of help replenish and it's like putting grass seed down in a garden. So we do know that there's one kind of strain of a probiotic and that's lactobacillus crispatus. So yeah, it's, it's a lactobacillus. Like I said, I told you that was really good in the vagina, but it's a specific strain called lactobacillus crispatus. This is actually one of the most predominant ones that we find in the vagina. You can get this as a supplement that you take by mouth. That's useless. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's not going to survive all the way from your stomach to your intestines, small intestine, large intestine, and like somehow magically transfer into your vagina. So if you are going to use a probiotic with the idea of trying to prevent yeast infections, number one, it should be lactobacillus crispatus. Number two, it should be placed in the vagina, not taken orally because that doesn't make sense. And number three, understand that none of these are FDA regulated. The doses can vary. They haven't, most of them haven't been independently tested and it could be a huge waste of money. So if you're thinking about this, know that it probably doesn't cause any harm. If you're somebody who's prone to these infections, I know there are vulvovaginal specialists who recommend these all the time for those specific people. But if you're not sure, ask your provider. Before I wrap this up, we're going to do the clitorally segment. And I'm doing the deep side beforehand because clitorally, literally, I cannot believe this was a real ad and it makes me so angry, but I need you all to hear it to know what we're up against. So I'm going to set this up for you. This is actually a TikTok that I made. And in it, it's like a green screen. So the commercial's playing in the background and my eyes are just like rolling in the front. This was a real commercial from Summer's Eve. And what it's showing is it's a bathroom scene and it's got their product in the shower. And like literally, as this person is talking, literally, I should say, an elephant is reaching into the bathroom to like grab the Summer's Eve product to be like, hey, the elephant in the room is that you need to use this. So let's have a listen. Okay, girls, there's an elephant in our bathroom. It's called feminine hygiene. Some women don't think they need it. Some think they need it, but don't talk about it. Okay. Some women don't think they need it. Um, Summer's Eve, with all due respect, kiss my ass. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Here's the thing. The elephant in the room, some women don't think they need it. So now you make us all feel like we're dirty or like we should be ashamed because we don't realize that we stink and we need your product. I hate this so much. I can't believe this is a real ad. And imagine if you hadn't heard this podcast or you're like many American women out there and vagina owners who have never gotten the education, they see this come across their screen and they go, oh my goodness, I need this product. Clitorally and literally summer's eve, I hate you. And I don't use that word. <laughs> you know, I tell my kids, I say, never use the word hate. There's enough of that in this world. But when it comes to these garbage products, H-A-T-E, that is what it means to me. Like, no, I cannot stand them. Okay, let's summarize real quick what we discussed here today. Yeast infections are common and getting a diagnosis really is key. Complicated infections can feel insurmountable, but with the right treatment, you can feel better. And it's true. Sometimes we need extra help from vulvovaginal specialists. So my first caller, that may be where you need to head next. The jury is still out on probiotics, but I talked about, you know, potentially ones that might be better. And lastly, you do not need summer's eve shaming you. 
and feel free to let them know on their socials, you know, any other way that you can let them know how much you can't stand them. And all Dr. Jen wants for Christmas is for Summer's Eve and Vagisil and all these companies to go out of business. I hope that helped. Thank you so much for these questions. If you've got other questions about yeast infections or these products, you know how to get them to me. So until next week, stay safe and shame-free out there, my friends. Okay, it's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body and we're gonna answer them. 